speaking of counting, I don't, I don't know what episode number this is. Uh, 25 or 6. Episode? 25. Uh, 25 sounds right. 25. That's a nice clean number. Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers podcast. It's episode 25 or 26. Uh, 25. I'm Julian. We're pretty sure 25. Fairly confident. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm joined by Eric. Hello. Oak. What up? And... Jeff. Yep. Every time. He's never going to do something fun for you. I just, when we get like to episode 100, can we, can we have fun? Can we do that, Jeff, please? See, we're, we're a very business focused podcast, Julian. You know, you know, I'm all about the business here. Jeff will just do the entire podcast for episode 100 in a British accent. Ooh, that sounds terrible. All I'm saying is. I'll do an exit for that one. We're a long time play group joining the multiverse, not a long time business group joining the multiverse. So if you're not playing, I don't know what's wrong. But either way, we would be hoping to level up both our game and yours. And uh, today, we're doing a lot of playing. We're actually doing a bit of role-playing, I would say. Ooh. Yeah. And, um, Where are you going to go with that, Julian? I'll just turn it over to you, Eric, and we'll just have a hard cut. <laughs> as far as I know, uh, you guys have only really played one role-playing game, so I assume we're here to talk about Dungeons & Dragons and those early Forgotten Realms spoilers that we got. Nope. Oh, then why are you here, Oak? <laughs> oh, okay, I'll sign it out, guys. Well, all right, I'll, I'll spoil it because we're actually, as I'm sure you know, because you saw the podcast title, like we're just, we're, we're trying to bait you out here and you know the information we're holding back, which is that we're here to do another pre-con. Uh, this time we're doing pre-cons based on D&D parties, just to really quickly run you through our previous pre-con, in case you didn't listen to it, I believe it was episode 12 of the podcast. Uh, we did pre-cons based on different planes, which was very exciting. Uh, all the cards were limited to be from a plane. We had sort of these rules going in. This time we came up with a similar set of rules. Some of us followed them, some of us didn't. And you know what? It's fine, because all the decks came out incredibly. Uh, here are the rules we went with this time. Four to five legendary creatures. Everyone who's ever played an ETRPG, at least like D&D, knows that having more than five people at a table is just a recipe for nothing to happen and you to lose six hours of your time. So four to five legendary creature player characters. That's what we're aiming for. They all have to have D and D classes as well. So there are 12 classes in D and D. Uh, there's artificer, cleric, bard, barbarian. I'm not going to name them all. You can look them up, but they all have to have D and D classes. Not all of them have to be able to be the commander, but at least one of them does have to be a legal commander of the deck. This should clearly be aimed at some sort of mission as well. Like the, Every D&D party has a quest or something going on. They've got a goal in mind, and so your deck should have that, that kind of goal inspiring it. All other cards in the deck should feel like they're a part of that story, and we should be sort of in that pre-con price range. Right, That's that's a big thing here is, you know, at the end of the day, these are supposed to be pre-cons with the idea that, you know, you could expect to pick these up at Target or Walmart or your local local game store, you know, in, in a nice little package. So the land base is going to be reflective of that. Some of the power picks are going to be reflective of that. And so we're going for a more budget build on all of these. Yeah, which is not necessarily something that we went for on the last one, just because we were like, well, let's just constrain them to a plane. And turns out when you do that, there's a lot of chaff that you have to play. But now that we have everything... Um, we all kind of like looked at our, our prices and they were out of whack. And I, I certainly had to make some cuts just because I was like, oh, you know what? This actually is too expensive or this is a little bit more powerful than, uh, what, what might some of know. those cuts have been? Did you have like any cards that you could like kind of cut in bulk? Any like sort of group of things that were, um, I did, I did, I, I'm playing a three color deck. So I did cut three Shocklands. Um, yeah. that was a nice yeah, little that's, savings. That's definitely the ones. Yeah, mostly that. Uh, I, th I think you, you might have also mentioned that you happened to cut the swords again because you were playing the swords again. Oh, yeah, I was playing. we discovered anything about these pre-cons, it's Julian loves to play some swords. Well, you see, the thing is, right, when you're playing these sort of high fantasy things, or at least mine when I talk about it, it was aimed towards some high fantasy, you know, people just love powerful magical weapons. And what's the most powerful magical weapon in, uh, in magic? It's uh, generally the swords. Sunforger. And, uh, I, I even, Sunforger is very strong, higher combo potential, but um, I, I was even playing like the not as good swords, but 
I decided, you know what, for the theme, you didn't the decide nature, you were peer pressured. We I decided, <laughs> I, I decided that I wanted to uh, stick true to Eric's vision when he decided to make this type of pod. So we want them to be close to a, an actual precon, like Chev, an actual precon that you might pick up. Um, and I think that's going to be what we're going to keep doing going forward when we do these. Yeah. Uh, well, Julian, you've already told us that yours is certainly aimed at high fantasy. Do you want to give us the quick run through of what your what's your campaign about? Yeah. So I, for better or for worse, went a, a very stereotypical route. Um, my deck, I want it to be extremely thematic in terms of card choices. Where Eric, I think yours is a little bit more mechanically built, and Oak certainly. I wanted the most basic kind of high fantasy story, like a Legend of Zelda kind of thing. Insert young prince here. Kingdom gets taken over um, by evil bad man. Prince is sent into exile, and then after an encounter with a mysterious magical being, finds they are part of XYZ prophecy and must journey throughout the realm, gathering compatriots and powerful magical items to return and reclaim their kingdom. And uh, I chose the only logical choice, and that is Jared Carthalian, the true heir. There can only be one, the Highlander. I gotta be honest, as you said that, I was like, man, this sounds like Breath of the Wild in reverse. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 100% right. That's what I was going for. I was like, I just, I basically just want to, it will be published with this. I have written a, you know, couple page thing that is like the story. And a it has a couple call- page thing. It has little call outs for where all of the cards are played in so i'm pretty i'm pretty proud of it but that that'll be that'll be visible julian are we getting some uh, magic the gathering fan fiction from you oh this is up? one Sounds hundo like piece of magic the gathering fan fiction except there's no like you know gratuitous shipping or weird sexual tension jared's long hair flowed in the wind while his the sweat glistened off his muscular chest <laughs> no. all right listen we got a lot of content think... we have to get oh through, that was so just the first draft that, sorry uh, it's My not bad. that detailed. There's a lot of content to get through. Uh, speaking of content, content to get through, I don't want to ramble anymore. So who wants to take it next? I can go. So yeah, my like you mentioned, Julian, my deck ended up being a lot more mechanically based, and it sort of fell into my lap as I was, or at least the idea for my quest sort of fell into my lap as I was designing, I guess, a more mechanically based deck. <clears throat> so the Commander I ended up going with is Kaikar, a bird wizard you may be familiar with. Uh, but not just any old Kaikar build. This is uh, Kaikar's quest for the Unspeakable. Um, for those who don't know, the Unspeakable is a giant demon that can be summoned uh, by casting three spells uh, in the same turn. Wow, casting three of any spells to summon this cool giant yeah. demon? Sounds awesome. See, the thing about but that then you is... remember it's from Kamigawa, and it couldn't possibly be that. Yeah, um, it, it couldn't just be three spells over the course of a game. And of course, you know, this is Commander, so we're running one copy of each spell. <clears throat> so, Kaikar's quest uh, was very long, and he may not ever complete it. <laughs> uh, he may be currently doing it right now, but if he ever, uh, you know, gets a chance... To cast, peer through depths, reach through mists, and sift through sands all in the same turn, he might just one day meet the unspeakable. <laughs> so, why is Kaikar looking for the unspeakable? Well, I had to do a little bit of headcanon adjusting for um, what Kaikar, you know, sort of actually is and what I wanted him to do for this, like, vision. Um, in this headcanon, Kaikar is sort of like a spirit summoner, which I think falls in line with his, you know, triggered ability. Whenever he casts a non-creature spell, you get to create a 1-1 spirit token. Um, and so Kaikar has all these, like, little spirits, and then, you know, a, a number of other spirits, which fall in, throughout the deck. And, yeah, so he's he's on a quest for what he heard to be the ultimate spirit summon, which is, of course, the unspeakable itself. So... Kaikar's, you know, he's. we'll talk about this later, but he's got some boys with him to help him along the way, but that, that was the overall goal of the uh, the quest. Very exciting. Julian also called my deck out as being sort of more mechanically focused, which is certainly true. A friend of mine was playing D&D recently, and they were, they were talking about sort of this big heist that they wanted to plan, and I was like, oh man, that sounds really cool as an idea for a campaign of sorts as like sort of this mega heist or this series of heists. And so that was what really inspired me. Uh, so who, I guess I, I ultimately ended up asking the question of 
who would be the perfect heist crew in D&D? There's so many creatures that love to steal things that sort of have different mechanics that align with parts of being a heist. And I'm a huge fan of heist movies. I love Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve. Uh, Snatch is a great heist movie if you haven't seen it. But there's a bunch of great sort of like stereotypical archetypes. So I wanted to fill those in and see what I could do with them. So yeah, we're here to steal things. And uh, given the commander of my deck, what we've ended up deciding to steal is cars. We're piling vehicles, we're hotwiring some cars, probably some some airships as well. They should not be creatures, and yet we're driving them off the lot. Uh, <laughs> how is it that you are turning these cars into creatures? Ah, with Sidri, galvanic genius. She She is able to turn them into creatures, and notably, they are artifacts that have, A, are non-creatures, but have creature keywords, they have flying, they have trample, they have stats. They're, they're meant to be creatures, but we're going to we're gonna sort of skirt the asking price of crewing them, and instead just Tesla self-drive them away. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, when we talk about the game later, I didn't see too many actual vehicles that you had out there, but I, I did notice that you were, you were stealing some other things, and somehow turning... Some very uh very inanimate objects into pilotable vessels. Have you considered that there aren't that many good vehicles, so we also needed to potentially steal some legendary artifacts? Eric, Eric, you have to stay thematic. Come on. I am staying thematic. You think that uh would stop them from taking, you know, a truck off the lot? What is a better car to steal than Erebos's whip? <laughs> Ask me that. Alright, okay. <laughs> I forgive you. You get now. one point for that, but you lose one for Biden of Thassa. All right, but I think I should get more than one point for Erebos's whip because that was incredible. Yeah, that was, that was Fuego. Uh, that better be in the the write up for this because that was just that was way too good. I'll make a note. <laughs> also, for people, well, for everyone who is listening, because we don't have a video version of this, Eric, as he was doing that, he was grinning. He was cheesing like a mofo, and he just hit the whip as soon as he said it, and he was so happy. <laughs> oh, it was great. Well, Chev, if there's one thing that your your thing is about, it's not being happy. You want everyone to be mad and sad. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh, you know, we're, we're we're hoping that the the main characters don't end up mad or sad by the end of it. Uh, really, I tried to. I wanted to do something a little bit different, and when we we knew we were doing these campaigns, I knew I wanted to incorporate demons in some way. So what I kind of decided around is we we kind of meet our heroes after these five evil wizards, who are the, the player characters, uh, have made deals and sold their souls to a cabal of demons. Um, and now they need to find a way to get out of their bargain or, you know, they're all going to go to hell. So the, the campaign is kind of, you know, are these people going to work together to find their way out? Are they going to summon more demons to try and, you know, um, beat up the original demons? Uh, you can just try and kill everyone or or really, you know, what is the, the relationship between these wizards on their escape and how many will make it out and see uh, freedom from their kind of contracts with these otherworldly entities. That sounds like a pretty sick deck. I like that you took it in a direction that it's sort of tough for a lot of D&D parties to go into, which is an evil party. And uh, I, I think... After, as I was looking at your list, I was I was really impressed by like how well you hit a lot of the themes of like this is a group of evil people working together. There's obviously going to be some backstabbing. <laughs> Sounds like a commander game. Yeah, it's definitely like you know. There's I was reading something recently about how hard it is to play like evil characters in games and stuff because you have to like think about all these decisions. But that's the great thing about magic cards. Like it could be an evil character, it could be a good character. The card do what the card do. You don't have to you know really get into the headspace if you don't want to. But I thought that the backstabbing angle and how these guys interact would be a super cool thing to explore. Well, well, can you tell me who those guys are? Of course. These guys, as they as they are, is uh, Nekusar, the Mind Razor, who I use as my commander. Jeleva? Jeleva? Jeleva. Uh, Jeleva Scourge. Cass Dissident Mage. Ludovic Necro Alchemist. And uh, Nin, the Pain Artist. So four of them also could just swap out with Nekusar at the the helm. I thought Nekusar was the most, you know, since he's a king already, uh, he could be the one who's bringing all of these together. But it was built with the idea of you kind of pick your favorite, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure as you try to get them to the end. It, it's all about picking your favorite, running with it. They all seem to embody different elements of 
what evil means. And that was another really important part for me. So while Nekusar is this zombie king figure, uh, you've got Nin who performs evil experiments inflicting pain. Kess is a classic, you know, they've taken everything from me, so I'm going to take everything from them. Jeleva is your vampire, because obviously vampires are going to be cool and bad. Uh, and then Ludovic, kind of reanimation through science and that Innistrad sort of feel. Also the way that all of them are dealing with death in different ways. And some might bring you back through magic, some science, some vampirism, some modification, etc. So it's really trying to find a little something for everyone, even within this somewhat constricted evil wizard archetype. That's super cool. I, I, I thought it was really awesome how, how many different themes you managed to jam in there for this party. Your deck is very much a thinking man's deck, and I think similar. <laughs> I think similar to, well, I think all of them honestly like, they're just as fun to just like look at the list and be like, oh, this is this, and this is this, and this is this, mm -hmm. as they are to play. And yours especially, just because it's so convoluted, and with the whole like battle royale thing that you're trying to set up, it, it's like even more of a choose your own adventure than it already, already could be. My favorite part of the whole choose your own adventure thing is like, while three of the commanders really make sense in the deck and the deck does have a sort of sub theme of um, making opponents draw cards and then causing them pain for doing so. And you've got Nekusar who can deal a little bit with that. Um, Ludovic helps him out. Nin is also the, the draw cards. So you've got those three that kind of team up. And then the other two, the ones that can actually be the other commanders, Jeleva and Kess, uh, are a bit different. And they really fill that, that spot of a pre-con where... Two commanders are in there. They don't make a lot of sense. And there's some cards that support them. But, you know, they're, they're just looking for an outlet to get into the magic community. So we're, we're trying to hit on the pre-con tropes as well. I see that you also managed to find your way into Grixis accidentally as a part of this. The original idea for the deck would be a campaign where they go to Nicol Bolas, who comes up with the idea to kind of bring them stuff. And then they're fighting against Nicol. But I thought that that was too related to magic story. And then... You know, there's going to be zombie elements as well, but I switched it for a less convoluted take of five evil wizards and four demons. Yes, and you do have those demons in the deck for uh, for the listeners. So we'll we'll get into that, but I wanna I wanna hear more about uh, you guys and what you kind of picked as your commander and parties. Like I said, I love heist movies. I really enjoy like the the sort of convoluted, crazy stories that they bring with all these twists and turns of. You know, oh no, the plan has fallen apart, the plan has fallen apart, everything's bad, and then in the end it's revealed that that was the plan the whole time for the plan to fall apart. <laughs> or in the case of things like Snatch, no, the plan fell apart, everything is bad, and like, the, just sort of all of the chaos of it is super great, and never knowing what the characters have planned and what is an accident. So, mm -hmm. I really focused in on that heist crew vibe. So, Sindri Galvanic Genius, she's the leader. Unfortunately, she is the only one who can command this deck, but she she certainly... Well, it makes her clearly the leader. You know, like, she it's her who kind of pulls everyone together. She's your Brad Pitt-George Clooney combo of they brought the team together, she knows the prize, she knows what she's after, and she's going to lead these other creatures to go get it. With her is Brina the Demagogue. Uh, she's a bird warlock. She's just sort of brings that frontman vibe, sort of the, the con artist who's always playing off the aggression, turning the, the local town guard around, maybe convincing people to look the other way as the heist goes on. And she, she does that by sort of directing people's attacks elsewhere. This deck is not built around having powerful creatures all the time. You need Sidri on the field. You need her to turn your artifacts into creatures. That's not always possible. So Breen is there to deflect a little bit. Then you've got Gonti. He's sort of the, the old hand, one last job coming out of retirement. He's got the money to finance the mission. Anyone who's played D&D &D knows that you walk around either immensely wealthy for 10 minutes, and then you spend all your money, and you sort of walk around poor. So Gonzi's the guy with the funds to get it done. He sort of kickstarts the operation financially. Every D&D &D party needs a cleric, and Tashar is ours. People die in D&D. &D. In a heist where, you know, your characters are getting split up, they, they've each got their own thing to handle, it's it's almost even more likely that someone's going to go the wrong way. So, Tashar's here to bring him back. Tashar could actually bring back any of our legendary creatures, uh, except himself. <laughs> he cannot save himself, but <laughs> that's the way it goes when you got one cleric. Tashar is our, our, our local cleric who's, who's slightly broken bad and 
who would ever suspect that the cleric's in on it? He's he's just a local friendly face. Probably does a lot of work with Brina on uh, turning people's heads the other way. And ha, finally, because she's an owl. The, the, oh, that's oh actually very wow! Funny. <laughs> God dang it! Uh, From Erebos's whip to an owl pun, we're uh, we're doing great out here today. Eric's killing it today. He's clearly excited. Finally, Thada Adele is our actual professional thief. She goes in there and she takes the object. She She's going in there. She's stealing your mana rocks. She's stealing whatever she can get her hands on. She's stealing your mana rocks and she's stealing your man. Am I right? Exactly. Fellas. <laughs> Look at how she's... Oh, boy. <laughs> you mentioned that you only have one cleric in there. And my deck, you know, sort of ended up being the opposite. Uh, I'm pretty much all clerics. Except for Kaikar himself. Kaikar, he, he likes to he's summon spirits. But he is a goose on the loose. Uh, a Canada goose, too. You don't <laughs> want to mess with those guys. He he had to hire some uh, assistance in the sort of sp- like spirit medium divining realm. And what better than a, a manned cleric himself, the, the geist of St. Traft. Uh, also a little bit of hired muscle. And, of course, Kaikar himself isn't the only one very you know interested in spirits. We got, in the most recent set uh, of Strixhaven, the sort of face of the Lorehold school, the elephant, you know, locks it on man himself, Quintorius. We're, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, we are talking about the elephant in the room. Quintorius would also uh, really like to meet the unspeakable uh, to, to learn about his past, although I don't think he knows how uh, actually vile and violent the unspeakable is. <laughs> you know, he's just, you know, kind of in ignorance, and he's also just like a dweeb, so he just wants to meet the spirit, of course. Uh, so he's here to help Kaikar, you know. Nerd. He's here to, yes, he is a nerd. Uh, he's here to help Kaikar learn those three cursed spells and summon the unspeakable. Finally, because, of course, we, we need a little more hired muscle here. And, you know, Quintorius happened to know this guy, Hofri, Ghostforge, uh, who, who happens to be very adept at handling spirits. So uh, he himself is a cleric, as, you know, Quintorius and Geist are as well. And... He's, he's sort of the hired muscle of the group. He, oh, he's not even really hired, but he's the muscle. Uh, he's here <laughs> if, if things go south and you got to start busting some skulls. Those are the three boys backing up my man Kaikar. Kaikar being the only wizard in the deck. Uh, and then finally, I, I'm going to skip ahead just very briefly for mine. Uh, the sort of mascot of the party is, of course, the unspeakable himself. The team mascot was the murderer all along. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> He's mu- he less of a mascot and more of the actual objective. You know, and mm. he uh, he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you dang meddling Meddling clerics. elephant. Yep. <laughs> meddling animal people? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. We've gone a little bit into, you know, the, the decks and who runs them, but what what makes these what makes these unique? Like what are the, the top thematic? Well, Chev. Staying true to your, uh, oh, we your don't evilness. Care. We don't care about Julian's. So. Oh, no, no, we, we do. Yeah, we can, we, can we started on. with Chev being all the evil dudes. Well, I'm, I'm bringing it back. I'm ending the segment. I got nothing but good guys. Nice, powerful boys who are trying to save the realm. So, Except like I said, for the one, the one bat guy. Well, yeah, the one bat. We'll talk, we'll talk, I'll talk about guy. him just because he's in there too. But we got Jared. And now I have to throw another disclaimer out there. Because my original thing was, I was like, I got Jared. And I was like, there's all these like just really bad, like, over-costed, but, um, like, really that, like, kind of old style of art, uh, Legends from Legends, right? There's, you know, like, and I was like, well, what if it's Jared and, like, just kind of, like, these goons, but, like, they have, like, that really old-worldly kind of feel. It's like you're assembling the Knights of Camelot, basically. When we were talking about the prices and stuff, I was like, oh, well, the sword, you know, the swords are a little too high for a pre-con, we'll take those out. Well, I was also like, why, why is Jacques Levert $60? And why is Lady Calaria, these, you know, like, seven-mana uh, four fours that have uh, weird abilities. Why are they all so expensive? Wizards can easily just reprint these and they'll be like, you know, like three bucks or whatever. Turns out I was wrong. The reason they're so expensive is because they're all on the reserve list. So I had to make some changes and uh, I, I got some uh, some new legends that are arguably much better and I think fit in, <laughs> um, fit in well. The first of which, when uh, Jared goes to save the realm of the elves from uh, an evil rampaging monster that is destroying their forest, and we know how elves love their forest, uh, is Galanra, Color of the Wildwood. She's our, our druid. She is our, our person getting us in tune with nature, and also she uh, she helps ramp out uh, our cards and gives us some card draw because my, my deck has 
is 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 top top heavy. There's there's some there's some big things in there. So Galanra is uh is helping out, and then we have uh, Bruce Tarl, who if he was not a Zendikar person, you can't tell me this man would not be a barbarian. Uh, he's technically a human ally, which I think is just garbage because it's Bruce Tarl. He he's he's like the Gimli type character, right? He's just along for the ride. He's helping out. He's and, thick. Um, he's pro- he's probably the one of the better ones for the deck mechanically just because we want to attack. We want to be the monarch with Jared. And then lastly, I have uh, Halana, uh, Kessig Ranger. Halana is the stereotypical, I want to find and hunt the biggest game that there is sort of thing. But also, you know, she has this uh, that fighting ability on her, so that's pretty good because, once again, like I said, we're playing some beefy boys. So, And plus, we don't have a mage in our party, so I figured having uh, having some some ranged attacking would be, uh, would be pretty solid. And then lastly, the last character, the last legend in mine is Dong Zhao the Tyrant, who I just had to pick because Tyrant's just such a great word. It fits so perfectly into that, and he is the only the only guy who's actually a Tyrant. Um, he is a Portal 3 Kingdom guy, so he's also randomly $100, but there's no reason why he can't be reprinted because he's a horrible card. He's a, a five-mana 3-3. Three, three. Um, so I don't really know how he took over the Kingdom. Well, clearly but... he has a relevant ability, right, Julian? Well, when he comes into play, you can choose one of your opponent's creatures, and that creature deals damage to that opponent equal to that creature's power. I mean, that's pretty solid. That's uh, that's that's worth two points of mana right there. Well, if you happen to have a sixteen sixteen duplicate, uh, that's pretty relevant, I would say. Yeah. What did, what did that duplicate duplicate again exactly, Julian? <laughs> was that your commander? That was gigantic. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. Which uh, we might we might talk about that later because that was a. Uh, that was th- certainly my favorite portion of the game. Was was that little <laughs> that little exchange right there? I did not enjoy that at all, except when I duplicated the command. <laughs> That's yeah. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Chev earlier, before Julian so rudely interrupted him, was trying to <laughs> transition us to the roll. thematic wins in our deck. Uh, this is something we did last time with the planner precons, uh, where it was like. Oh, these are these are really good at telling the story of the plane or, or showing us where we are on this plane. This time they're going to be, I think, probably big story beats uh, for most people. So, what do y'all got? Well, I'm just going to jump in and interrupt Chev again because it, he looked like he was about to say something. He thought about it. One of my favorite ones was the uh, Dong Zhao the Tyrant, just because him actually having the epithet the Tyrant is pretty good, and he does kind of look like a stereotypical horrible fantasy villain. Um, but also his pairing, one of the reasons he was able to take over the kingdom. Um, because he's not very powerful by himself, is he has the Tyrant's Familiar, which is a very powerful dragon. So I liked that kind of just like, I've got the Tyrant, I've got the Tyrant's Familiar. They work well together. That was pretty fun for me, just that actual naming thing. And a lot a lot of the cards in my deck, the names are just a very nice. Uh, another one, Quest for the Holy Relic. If that's not the most blatantly D&D card I've ever heard of, um, I don't know what it is. It's got a great name, and um, it's an enchantment. Uh, you get enough quest counters, you sack it, and you can pull an equipment from your deck even though we took the swords out we still have some good equipments in there uh, that's what they're looking for and it actually tutors it straight to the battlefield and attaches it which is uh pretty solid especially if like you need to actually just play good magic and Colossal just get your lightning hammer. well i was gonna no i was just say if you just oh, need yeah, to like yeah. just yeah just get your lightning greaves and be like all right we're good as opposed to you know getting cute and attaching like a an argentum armor or something i mean argentum armor is, is not cute but I, I will agree that the boots are are a good yeah. choice a, yeah a better power move a couple other highlights for me were just good name wins smite the monstrous just like you're probably gonna be fighting big things in any fantasy based dmd campaign and also a bad card but rally for the throne um is just perfect in terms of thematically what we want to do so those were my hits chev i'm sorry i believe i cut you off so before you know julian decided to go first even though he just went last and you know it's it's kind of a, a bad form i would say but for me, I my, my big thing is always going to be overcommitting to some thematic element to the point where it's a convoluted mess. And that, that kind of is the, the theme behind a lot of my commander deck. So making this like no other, we've got the five heroes. And then I broke the, the only four to five legends in the deck rule by making the four demons that they make these packed with also in the deck. That would be Belzenlock, Kothafed, Rakdos, and Sizan from Kamigawa, which was also a win with Nekusar. It was awesome like if i got the two of them out because he makes you draw cards and lose life and then you know everyone loses life and we're all happy uh and then of course we have the the contracts that all four of them signed liliana's contract demonic pact slaughter pact and damnable pact each with their own reason as to why the wizards made this in conjunction with each other um or you know who the slaughter pact is meant for 
and then countless examples highlighting different eras from the campaign uh, where they would start off with the riches and wealth and power that they received from the demons with things like windfall treasure cruise etc um uh, one of the the giant spells from M19 of Nicobolus just going crazy. And then we go back down to where they really lose it all with Rakdos's return, which actually managed to do great things in the game and fraying omnipotence as we see kind of their, their fall from power. And there's enough kill spells for all of the individual wizards in there with a few cards like Saw It Coming as a, a thematic win for the one wizard that's able to get out because that's that's kind of how i saw the story developing is maybe maybe through backstabbing or just careful planning one of these five wizards is going to be the success story from the group but i would say outside of all of those convoluted story beats the two biggest are going to be rakdos's return and demon fire they did do really great things in the game and it was a thematic win to have those come out kick some ass with bells and locks still on the battlefield it felt like he was getting the the last desserts Chev, I gotta say, I appreciate how, like, very meticulously you crafted, like, every single spell to have a very direct and, like, deliberate purpose in your story, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, looking back on my deck, I, I wish to some degree I had done that as well. I do have a few big ones. Three big ones? <laughs> yes, there are three. Well, the three big ones, of course, being the ones that uh, are needed to summon the Unspeakable himself, uh, which is Reach Through mm. Mists, Peer Through Depths, and sift through sands i can pronounce each of those words incorrectly thank you very much um so in my sort of headcanon uh for this or how this story worked it's something along the lines of um kaikar learning the eerie procession spell which would uh mm-hmm. you know tutors up an arcane card and you know as this is a arcane themed deck there are plenty uh one of the very good ones though uh, and happens to synergize very well with spirits, which hopefully Kaikar will be making a lot of, uh, is Ribbons of the Reike, which is five mana for an arcane sorcery. Draw a card for each spirit you control, which is at least one if you got Kaikar out, because he uh, makes one <laughs> when you do it. So after you draw all those cards, hopefully uh, you have those assembled those three spells and are able to... Summon the unspeakable himself. Uh, something that could definitely get help you get there, which, you know, it, you probably don't have, even if you have all these cards, you probably don't have a lot of mana, is a Desperate Ritual, which, you know, obviously, besides just being, an, of course, an arcane spell and a very powerful and well-known spell, um, I, I saw it's very thematic with Kaikar himself, uh, and his activated ability, which is to sacrifice a spirit and add a red. I mm. sort of uh, imagine this is what happens, like, kind of, Every time a spirit is sacrificed to Kaikar, he performs yeah. like a desperate ritual and creates the spell itself. And then finally, just, you know, because we have to have some good stuff in there, uh, Ghostly Prison. The Ghostly Prison is what Kaikar keeps all his spirit summons in, and he lets them out one by one. And of course, it's what he's hoping to capture the uh, unspeakable in itself. Is that like his uh, Pokeball? Yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like this deck went very thematically Kamigawa, which I'm sure Eric appreciates. But uh, I I think one of the the cool things was, yeah, utilizing those arcane spells and kind of making it uh, more interesting, which is a a sort of non-bow almost with Kaikar, but I think it really thematically helped seeing it in action in that particular way. One more quick thing I want to mention just about deck building in general is that I think the restrictions placed on this actually helped me a, a, a whole lot in creating this deck because there are so many legendary spirits and many of course that synergize very well with arcane spells and other spirits uh, from Kamigawa but the fact that you can only have four really like cut down my selection a lot so mm. I'm really thankful for that honestly restrictions make good deck building yeah it, it lined up very well uh thematic wins in my deck were halfway between being like purely thematic and some of them actually deal with a lot of what the deck wants to deal with mechanically, which was pretty cool. Uh, so, like, Board the Weatherlight and the Weatherlight. Board the Weatherlight is great because it helps bring new legends onto your crew. But also, we're running 30 artifacts, so there's no way we could ever brick with, like, trying to hit a historic spell. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Weatherlight itself. But overall, I really like to see these as, you know, like, Sidri can pilot the Weatherlight by herself, but she's, she's really driving by to pick up the crew, getting everyone loaded into the into the wagon, and they're going out to steal some stuff. 
So sort of inviting your fellow legends to board the Weatherlight and the Weatherlight being able to search them out was a great win for me. Uh, especially because Sidri can't crew it by herself, but she can like force it to go. And so the fact that like she really needs help to make it complete, but in the meantime can figure something out is uh, is very cool to me. Bribery and Acquire are both cards that go into your opponent's deck, steal something, and then put it onto your battlefield. But they're also both just incredible names for a steal stuff deck. Uh, especially when the commander isn't actually really focused on stealing things and it's more of just turn cars into people meme. Uh, those those really hit that thematic sweet spot, especially given how similar they are to Dada Adele's effect of going into your opponent's library and searching something out, but they, they go straight to the field. Rogue's Passage, Rogue's Gloves, Joven's Tools, Smuggler's Copter. The deck is just filled with things that are used to steal things. I'm not going to go through them all, but those are definitely some highlights. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with how this deck turned out thematically. You're stealing a lot of things. They got to be stolen. You're stealing my heart. Oh. Aww. Yeah, he's ripping it right out, brother. <laughs> yep. Actually, I'm turning it into a creature, and it's walking away of its own free will. That sounds a little violent and painful. You know, I'd be okay with it. Ooh, that's <laughs> even worse. Makes you think what made it want to leave. Oh, uh, well. All right, before we get too deep, let's let's go into the other the other main category of cards. Let's let's go into the the top power cards. Like what cards are in here that are probably like the one that people are buying these precons for or um that really synergize well with the commander. The one that the uh, the investors are going to come through and swoop them up, Chev? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> we're talking C13, they find out that there's a um true name nemesis in here and then that deck just gets bought out for all of eternity. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking True Name Nemesis, but even more recently, I'm thinking Dockside Extortionist. I'm thinking Dockside Guardianship uh, Protection. Yep. Teferi's um, Protection. Yeah. For me, for me, I was throwing a City of Brass and Damnation in there. Damnation was the it was a flavor win, and we've seen it come down from its main forty dollar range with the reprinting and Time Spiral Remastered. It's now around twenty five, which I felt was it was definitely on edge um, for being reprinted, but I think it's it's within range. And then City of Brass used to show up far more frequently in pre-cons, and because it hasn't, the price has kind of gotten away from it. So I feel like there could be a big drop from that one. Um, outside of those, I think the, the biggest powers are using Runescar Demon as both thematic for it and a, a tutor. Um, my phone is going off. I'm going to turn that off real quick. Unprofessional. We could not hear that phone at all. I'm disgusted. I don't expect people to call me, ever. Uh, Runescar Demon, as a sort of tutor on a stick and for that, that demon flare. Um, and also the, the main spell book of the deck, which is Folio of Fancies. And that's that's kind of the book that I imagine. It's it's not a great name, but it's one of the, the most, like, you know, usable and abusable effects on a book that made it seem powerful that the wizards could be using. And that, that works great with Nekusar to... Draw your opponents a bunch of cards, stay on their good side, deal some damage to them, and then mill them for 10, 15, 20, etc. Uh, and then, of course, my, my last card is the the classic 1-2, probably wouldn't be in an actual pre-con, but it can kill you if Nekusar's on the battlefield, and that's Peer into the Abyss. It does cost, I think, like 7 mana, but you can just pick an opponent and they, they big dead. So... That could be considered a high-powered card. I love Peer into Very the Abyss nice. because it just hoses like Julian Dix. No offense. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Can't I don't be, even know what that card does. Like, six mana can't be countered. Like, target opponent discards all non-creature spells in their hand or something like that. Oh, yo, it's um, the one of their very, face eating their very face. Very no, um, but that one could be cool. Peer into the Abyss is a seven mana sorcery. Target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half of their life round up each time. Well, I guess I'm stupid. So with Nekusar out, you would draw half your deck, get damage dealt to you for half, and then you would lose the other half. So it still hoses me in the fact that it kills me. So you're right, Oak. Yeah, I knew that. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't hose me in terms of deck building. Yes, it does it does hose Julian. But it can also hose others. It it, it doesn't care who it hoses, it will it do is the indiscriminate in its hosing. It hoses all the hose. I'll tell you one thing, Chev. Picking my uh my money cards was not hard at all because it was the cards that got destroyed. Pretty much as soon as they enter the battlefield. <laughs> um, yep, for me, yep. <laughs> um, 
I played one of Julian's favorites, uh, Selfless Spirit, which, you know, a card I love. Um, and in case you like more Selfless Spirit, how about uh, Venerable Warsinger? Nice little rare from the most recent set to, uh, you know, pretty much bring back Selfless Spirit every time it connects. Yep. Um, another guy that got killed, like, right off the gate, not not really a money card, but uh, Drog School Cavalry, which, uh, not, you know, again, a very well-known card, but... Um, it has the effect whenever a spirit enters the battlefield under your control, gain two life. And notice that doesn't say non-token. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get many spirits out, if any at all, I, I believe, while that was on the battlefield uh, before it passed. Um, Malignus? Alright. <laughs> He's a big boy. Yeah, Malignus is a big boy. If, if you don't know what Malignus is, it's an elemental lion. spirit. Uh, and its power and toughness are equal to half the life total of the player with the most life. Uh, and it costs five mana, so that, that's pretty good value, I'd say. That's like that's like Tarmogoyf level value for for EDH, I'd, I'd say. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally, uh, probably my favorite arcane spell, uh, which actually it's it's hard to say if this can really even be considered a spell because it doesn't have a mana cost. It, it can't be cast on its own, uh, which which is very interesting. But if you're playing a lot of arcane spells, it's not a big deal. Uh, this is Evermind, which is a Again, zero mana, uh, instant. All it does, draw a card. But you can splice an arcane spell for two mana. So turn any arcane spell into a cantrip. Sign me up. I mean, pretty good. Nice. I like that. I'm I'm a fan of that one right there. Yeah. All the cards you mentioned that died on entry died for a good reason. Those are those are some powerful cards. Some spicy, spicy boys. I did not have a lot of good like big money cards in here potentially i i just sort of had like a very average pile of cards in terms of cost i think you say uh, that but, but i'm looking at the cards you have written down and i'm just like oh, with wow. these these three pretty much being the exceptions in terms of finances if you're looking for a reprint of bribery uh this is probably the only place you're going to find it it is a uh it's a 26 dollar card that is five mana search your opponent's library for a creature card put it into play under your control and then they shuffle their library. So just go steal an opponent's creature. Cryptic Command. Pretty much every commander player knows that this card is unbelievably annoying and deserves its uh, $22 price tag at this point. Oh, that's come down. Wow. It's come down, but still, I think mm -hmm. you'd find some people buying a $40 box of cards to get a $22 Cryptic Command. I would. And I already own a Cryptic Command. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oak would buy this deck. Endorsed. And finally, Thada Adele is sort of a big money creature, almost $9, which is not huge, but kind of surprising. Yeah, she's run from the older print runs. Um, not not old, old, but definitely before Magic exploded recently. So yeah. due for a reprint, that would probably crash the price. Yes, um, she, she would probably get destroyed by the number of people out there looking for a free cryptic command and being like, get this garbage out of my life. So uh, those are those are power cards in terms of finances, but... Th they're all certainly power cards in terms of playing them out. Um, one card that felt really powerful to me, I don't even know if it really was that good, was Spine of Ishsa. It is a 7-mana artifact where when it enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. I believe it doesn't even say non-land. No, it's permanent. Uh, yep, destroy target permanent, and uh, when it would be put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return it to your hand. So, you play it out, it destroys something, and then Sidri turns it into a creature, and you're beating people in the face with a 7-7. If anyone ever decides to block enough to kill it or to play removal against it, you just get it back, get to remove something again. Yeah, that's super good. It's it, it's very strong in this deck, I think. Let me tell you, as the guy who bought the Doretti deck, that is very powerful in any deck, especially Freaking that can hell. sacrifice yeah. artifacts. Um, also, just good in any, like, I know your deck was a monocolor, but good in any monocolor deck that kind of lacks removal uh, of a certain mm -hmm. kind. That's a very good point. Uh, can take out anything, so. Parhelion 2 is a card that I wanted desperately to cast, because you can turn it into an 8-8 for Strike Flying Vigilance that makes angels when it attacks for one mana, which is just awesome. I wish Parhelion 2 was legal as a commander. That would be really cool. It friggin' should be. Hey, rule zero, brother. You want to make a Partalian 2 deck, Oak? I will play against it, and I will love it. I'll do it. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't I don't really mind when you play your commander. It it 
does nothing for a turn cycle. It gets killed, and then uh, you have a, your, your second casting is 10 mana. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, we'll let him have it. Let him have what it. What about if your first casting is 10 mana, Julian? Do you like it then? No, because you cheat mana very hard because you're a cheaty boy and a bad person. Anyway, as opposed to starting the roast of the Eldrazi deck early, <laughs> let's uh, go back to talking about powerful cards that we got in here. Well, I think everyone who, who should talk has talked. Mm, you know what? You're right. You're right. I wasn't really playing that many good cards. Um, but one of, one of the good <laughs> cards, Eric, uh, a good target for your bribery would be um, one of the beasts that Jared slays in his quest. And that's a that's a Zakama, Primal Calamity. Favorite of the cast ever since we uh, we did that sick deck tech on episode 20. So check that one out. That was sweet. Yeah, Zakama, just a, just a good card. Also, getting up there in price, mm-hmm. it's about $20. Because commander players love big dinosaur things. I, I will mention why this boy is not seeing any sort of other format play. Also, Secure the Waste is just a really good card. I will say I did get to play like a good amount of just like solid ramp and removal. I would say like more solid than most precons. Um, so I don't know if this was quote unquote getting printed, like if they would go there. But I mean, I, I was I was able to get like swords in there. I have most of the good ramp. I have, you know, I've like decimate and a whole breach in there. Um, so I was, I was pretty happy about those just because they're not like super expensive cards. But when you add a bunch of like three dollar cards together, you know, it adds up. Yeah. And in terms of just like actually playing the game, those are all like super great cards and like staples that you would want to have in your collection, especially if you're like picking up your first or second precon. So I was I was pretty happy that I got to include those amongst the uh insurrections of the world love me some insurrection let me tell you i was not a fan of when julian played insurrection he took my 1616 and got him killed by chev it was not very cash money yeah that was the that was the circle of life it started out as julian's commander and then eric right which which julian you should tell us how you got a 1616 because it only took you a couple turns Give us that sweet Jared deck. You're right. You're right. I, w- I will. And this is this is just for uh, official being official, putting it putting a header on this section. We have we have entered the we played a game with all of these decks. How did they actually fare? Are they feasible, etc. First off, uh, quick thing. I think they all went great. I think it was one of the most balanced and original commander feeling games that we've had in a while, and we, we can get back to that. But yes, the uh, the sixteen sixteen commander. So Jared has this thing where he says whenever damage would be dealt to him if you are the monarch prevent that damage he gets that many plus one plus one counters so it's kind of like a vigor like effect if you're into that sort of thing like eric is so what i did was the board was getting a little crazy and honestly me and eric were like on the most on the back foot oak was getting pretty pretty big chev i think only had like three creatures but they were all very problematic um so i drew blasphemous act and was like eric hey you should uh, turn one of Chev's artifacts into a creature so that I can kill everything. And he was like, no. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just I'll just wait. And then um, the next turn, Oak, like, doubled the size of his board, which was crazy. So I was like, all right, well, now I'm definitely playing this. And uh, what I did was put Blasphemous Act on the stack. No one responds. I have Throne of the High City, which is a card from maybe the second conspiracy. conspiracy. But basically yep. it says four, tap it, sack it, you become the monarch. So at instant speed, I become the monarch. Now all of a sudden, the board gets wiped, and Jared, instead of taking 13 and dying, gets 13 plus 1 plus 1 counters and becomes a 16-16. And I then smack Eric in the face for 16, which is very unfortunate because he happened to have four previous commander damage, so I was one short of getting him getting him with that good good. I do want to say, I sat there with a spell swindle in hand and watched all of this happen. And five untapped mana. I simply watched as Julian killed me because he did ultimately end up taking my life with commander damage as I was about to start gaining a lot of life from Venser's journal. So he he took me out at just the right time in just the right way, unfortunately. So one of my big takeaways from game night was I have no idea how to play control. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, though, so we were saying, though, the next turn you played duplicate, exiling my 1616 Jared. So you had a 1616. And then I believe the turn after that, I played Insurrection and stole a bunch of things because people had rebuilt. And I was like, I feel bad for just going at Eric because, you know, he had like way less he had like way less life. Everyone was still like in the high thirties or whatever. So I was like, Almost like I'd just been hit with a 1616 or something. Exactly, exactly. So I was like, I'll attack Chev instead. And then I had a way to get rid of the duplicate. So I was like, I'll attack Chev instead. And then Chev just 
killed the duplicate and didn't even take 16. And I think that's really a dang shame. I don't think so, because I won. And so you know that the, the evil wizards and the demons came out on top, as I, I previously mentioned. Uh, Bells in Lock was my only creature on the battlefield at the time of the win. And he was able to kill Julian with a demon fire. And then a um, Rakdos's return got Oak off of the, what is it? Apex of Power. Apex of Power, that's what it was, yeah. So we were able to Apex of Power, pull off a Rakdos return, hit him for nine, because we were all down pretty low at that point. And I think that's just the, the best thematic end that a demon deck could win. In the end, none of the wizards survived. I think at least three of the title characters were killed. Um, I think I played all four of the packs that they made. So I was pretty happy if I was doing side questing on this guy. And then just boom, big fireballs all the time. It was beautiful. I believe three of your four main characters were killed in the Blasphemous Act, which is kind of like that was the preemptive Rakdos's return, right? Like they busted open hell and like lava flew everywhere and all your dudes just got decimated. That's what happened thematically. Thematically. They're out here committing Blasphemous Acts. Yeah, they got got. One fun thing someone referenced was that it, it, it was a, a really unique commander experience uh, in part because the entire time we narrated what was happening in universe for our decks. So... Mm-hmm. We were forced to show off the effort we had put into deck building, and all of us did a great job, I think, in terms of, like, oh, like, this card connects here, this card connects here, and everything really fell in place as a story because of how these decks are built, which was very cool for me. That was definitely one of my favorite parts, too, was it really leaned into that sort of, that that D&D sort of thing, like, the Dungeon Master says, this happens, and then everyone is just like, well, uh, I do this, and I do this, and I whatever you know what i mean and like there was a few times where there was like things on the stack and someone was like i am attempting to steal this car and then someone's like while you're attempting to steal that car another car runs a red light and hits your car and then <laughs> you know things go flying and then all of a sudden you know there's a a wizard in the cafe cafe nearby and he throws a fireball because he's just like i hate this stop causing problems i don't know what was the spell that was um jared taking a key to uh <laughs> sidri's car uh, it was, uh, oh, was Holbridge. Holbridge. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Just taking in the car, which I think was Erebos's whip at the time, and just like stabbing a sword through it. That was definitely a, a blast. It, it helped lead to a, a casual atmosphere while we played, too. Because I know, you know, we've lamented a few times oh, our decks get more powerful. We should play Pauper Commander. We should play these other things that kind of focus on playing with dumber cards or our cards that are less powerful. But, you know, having the narration and having the sort of cap in pre-con power level it really it really felt again like julian was saying back to those original uh commander experiences that for us were you know either we're playing at a local eatery place after frisbee club or something back in high school and it i I kind of evoke those vibes of everyone's kind of doing their thing um everyone kind of had their moment in the spotlight but we all we all had a good time doing it and i think the game ended the best way it possibly could have so i'm not really (sighs) get out of here chuck yeah, the, the game ended as usual where I should have killed Chev immediately and I just let it happen. Do you know, honestly, I was thinking about this. There have been several times that I can remember where the game goes long and I just, I really should have killed Chev, but I'm like, ah, Chev's just doing Chev things. He's like not doing much, whatever. And then, you know, after a hard fought battle against Eric and Oak, where we're just expending resources upon resource, Chev's like, I got 10 mana and that's enough for a fireball. So <laughs> screw you just all the time. But yeah, it was, it definitely felt, um, as I was saying, nothing was overpowered. Everyone had a moment where they were kind of like doing their thing slash being the leader. And, um, it also, there was, it definitely felt kind of a battle cruisery, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the things that when people go to commander, they're like, I want to play these nine mana cards. Um, or at least I felt like that considering that I couldn't, <laughs> I really didn't play anything for the first like 45 minutes of the game. Cause I was a little land light and I had some eight drops in my hand, but Yeah, it just felt like instead of some of the more tuned like combo or control or whatever decks that we play now, um, they were just kind of more innocent and pure, if you will. Yeah, I think they hit that good like five to six range, which is probably like probably pretty good for a pre-con, honestly. It's probably a little high, but um, they they were all, you know, thematic wins where pre-cons are a little more all over the place. I would say nowadays that five to six for a pre-con is pretty solid. I mean, they've been they've been printing some good stuff. That's true. I think these decks... They have the start where you can base if you like tune the mana base up and like add in some more just like kind of like glue cards like staples basically like if you added mm. five staples and tune the mana base up these probably would be reasonable decks for the most part. I'm 
pretty proud of the fact that my deck was only clocking in around, like, $90 at the end of it. Oh, wow. One-ninth of which was my selfless spirit. Dude, a bunch of that was of because course. you're playing all these commons from Kamigawa, and no one wants those cards. Yeah, that's true. Which is unfortunate, but, you know. I would love to see new art for them, though. So, Wizards, if you want to you, you wanna pick up this idea, definitely take Oakley's deck. That would be nice. Yeah, for real. Uh, or just take all of our decks and make this, like, Commander 2023. This this can just be the release. And we'll give you a couple of years to kind of, you know, plan it into your calendar. Yeah, take some time. That gives us time to develop uh, appropriate either um, short films or, or fan fictions to accompany the release. You can sell for $50 That's instead, true. and it gets that extra little yeah. bit of uh, content. Yeah. It'll it'll be that uh, like this year, last year was the year of the commander. That'll be the year of the hex drinkers. That's when you finally admit that you've been following our podcast all along. You know you've, yeah. you've been religious viewers, and it, it's time to bring us into the sunlight. Twenty twenty three, the year of the hex drinker. <laughs> uh, so does anyone want to say anything else? Because if not, I think we should do maybe a little little lightning round for these last last uh last few prompts and just agreed hit it Sounds and quit good. it. Sure. All right, Eric, you are our DM. Why don't you why don't you take us through? Hell yeah. Uh, all right. What legends would make a great party to oppose yours? Uh, you got to have a bad guy squad. Who's yours? Or good guy squad for Chev? Yeah, literally any any squad for me that isn't composed of five evil wizards. My guys definitely felt like the, the bad ones. And so you give me a little scheme deck going on. We could have been playing Arch Enemy. I'm not super in tune to like the a lot of the like deep lore of Kamigawa, but I think a party of spirits, maybe, you know, led by like Iname is one or uh, Seizan or something like that. Um, who are just trying to prevent the resurrection of the unspeakable because <laughs> Kaikar has no idea what he's getting into uh, would be a good, uh, you know, opposition for this party. I, I hear Aname as one and I'm into it. <laughs> I, I'd say probably literally Chev's party. I had all these stereotypical high fantasy heroes and he had all these stereotypical high fantasy-esque bad guys. Uh, so I feel like we're kind of just like a nice little foil right there. Nice. Um, For me... It'd be a party of characters like Lavinia the Tenth. I'd I'd love to see a commander deck based on her about bringing these folks to justice. But anyone from the Orzov or namely Azorius for sure guilds would be unhappy with what these folks are getting up to. All the popo. Yeah. All right. Who's your mascot? Who, who's your who's your fun little character who hangs out every D and D party's got to have one. It's a great meme for most people. Who who's your little guy? I'll go first. Uh, I already kind of mentioned this. He's, he's not exactly the little guy, and he probably, well, for most of the story, isn't hanging out really with my group. But once, you know, Kakar captures him, the unspeakable becomes the party's mascot. Uh, that's a that's a spooky Terrifying mascot right there. I'm just imagining going to like a college football game, and it's like, and now we have the Kamigawa Unspeakables. Oh my god! Oh, the entire like ground opens up as this creature comes out and like eats the opposing team. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, that's how the that's how the unspeakables win their games. Mine would be a uh, a recent card from Commander Legends, Blim Comedic Genius, who you might kind of remember as the Rakdos version of Zedru. Maybe maybe he's an underling of Rakdos trying to make a name for himself, or he was someone imprisoned by the wizards as a pet. Uh, but I think he makes a great little sort of demonic sidekick. Plus, we've got Demonic Pact in here, which is that enchantment with the four modes where the last one is you lose the game. So if Blim connects and he can give one of your permanents to another player. I think a great sort of flavor win for this deck would be one of the wizards finding a way to pass their contract onto someone else's soul. Orchev, that could just be the uh, the demons coming through and forcibly enforcing the contract, basically. I'm going to have that soul. Read the fine print. <laughs> uh, Julian called this one out for me, but it's got to be Giant Ox. It's, it's an ox who can drive a car. That's crazy. <laughs> the ultimate getaway driver. You don't get to have that until you have the plow. We have freed him from his shackles. That's that's the whole thing. You've got everyone like flying away in Teslas and airships and stuff, and then you got the ox driving his plow back Listen, to base. Uh, driving his plow. The ox isn't allowed to drive Parhelion two. I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> that's fair. Hey, as long as he passes his He's road just test, dragging or sky it along. test or whatever. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> this airship just crushed. Oh man. <laughs> Mine is the least exciting, but I feel like Anara, Wolved Familiar, would be pretty solid. It's just the the right mix of, uh, you know, kind of badass wolf, but also cute doggo, mm -hmm. and also uh, gives your other commanders indestructible. So it's like, it's just also you uh, utility-wise, but um, I mean, there's nothing cooler than a, a badass swordsman with a, a cool wolf friend. I'm thinking like Game of Thrones yeah, kind of thing, you know? Dark Souls, maybe. Oh, yeah, or Dark Souls, or Dark Souls. 
all right, yeah, that that is that is true. I do like Sif a lot more than I like uh, the the Direwolves. That's because they didn't want to spend money on the Direwolves. This isn't going to become a twenty minute. Why was Game of Thrones bad? Instead, I'll ask you: Your party has completed their quest. Uh, perhaps they've all survived. Perhaps some haven't. What do they do afterwards? How do they spend their rewards and or, in Jeff's case, the rest of their lives now that they've earned that? Yeah, most likely all mine are going to end up dead. I mean, you've got you've got five I mean, how are the demons spending their, their party money then? One party's got to succeed <laughs> well, in your so, so you've got two possible futures, right? It's the demons win and then they go back to hell and they do demon things like causing pain, torturing, making armies uh, of the damned, you know, normal stuff. Or the wizards win and now they still have the remains of their wealth and knowledge and power and armies. And so it's, you know, what, what's my next target? Well, it's going to be these other guys who have just as much wealth and power as I do because I want more. So I think, you know, they band together for this. They're able to succeed, kill the demons, but they'll 100% turn on each other unless you get it so you're the only wizard standing. And then they will probably go off and do more evil things. So it's not really a, a win for humanity in, in any direction. Well, easy one for me. Uh, turns out when you have a, a an evil guy come in and enslave the population and forcibly take over and, uh, you know, mess a lot of things up. After you go and kill that man and return to your rightful place on the throne, uh, there's a lot of rebuilding to be done. A lot of uh, plant planting the fields and making sure you got a, a stable crop and uh, making sure that the peasants are fed and making sure that the uh, the kingdom is properly defended. So unfortunately, it's going to be more of a just developing a solid economic plan once we uh, once we get back. Snooze. Instead, my boys are getting wasted, buying more gear, and then for every Ocean's 11, there's an Ocean's 12. For every Mission Impossible, there's a Mission Impossible 30 or something, whatever we're on at this point. You got to get ready for the next heist. There's always another job. There's always a bigger score. Let's hear about what uh, what Kaikar is up to after he frees his pet. See, Chevy, actually, I, I'd like to think at the end, he does the opposite. He domesticates the unspeakable. Uh, you know, after, like, a long, hard-fought battle, maybe against, like, an Amaze one, or maybe the Unspeakable himself. <laughs> um, uh, Quintorius learns a thing or two about uh, some spirits not being so friendly and stops being such a f***ing dweeb and learns some <laughs> battle magic <laughs> from the lore old school. Um, and my man, Geist of St. Traft, and, of course, uh, Hofri Ghostforge get paid by Kaikar, <laughs> who is just rolling, who, of course, is just rolling in the dough. I mean... Like look Straight at Straight cash homie. Yeah. He's a goose on the loose. Yeah, look at look at this guy's like cloak. Like he he's gotta be he's gotta be loaded. Bare minimum, he's rolling in red mana. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, Eric, that was another excellent trip down the uh XYZ precon path. I, I think the the name is still patent pending, but um I think the the product is where exactly where it needs to be. So thank you for spearheading that. Thank you for uh bringing the D D love uh to us. And if the listeners are loving the D&D stuff. We will be obviously doing extensive coverage of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms once that comes in two months, Chev? Yeah, uh, mid-July is when that set comes out. Yeah, This was definitely inspired by those early uh, previews of Forgotten Realms cards, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what they end up doing. Chev should have put Power Word Kill in your deck. I understand <laughs> not doing it as it doesn't even close to exist yet, but I'm excited. I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of chances to be doing uh, group brews and articles and all sorts of content about the uh, that set once it comes out because it's looking like it's going to be a real uh, real blast. I can say that. Might even be a, a party. It'll be a real party. Ooh. There we go. There's the pun. One last pun. Party better come back. I'm going to be so mad at that. I, I just I don't know how it doesn't. Like, they set it up. Like, now you have two full sets that support it which is like such a rarity in standard nowadays. Uh, go back to our Forgotten Mechanics um, podcast, episode 17 or 18. Oh, or, or wait. A number. A number. It's between 17 and 23, um, you know, which is not that many. Just <laughs> It's like 20% of our full category library. Just listen to all of our podcasts. What am I saying? Just listen to every single one of them. Listen, they can listen to it. They've got time. Uh, and you know what else they can listen to? The outro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could do that. Well, if you did want to listen to those podcasts and you didn't know where to find them, let me tell you. You can find them on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever better podcasts are found. You can also find it on our website, which conveniently hosts a majority of our content. Uh, you can go there to find articles, uh, links to our videos. We even have this fancy blinky button that tells you if we're streaming or not. Um, but if you're not on our website and you want to know if we're streaming, you can go, over, go on over to 
Twitter, where we will always tweet out before we stream, but we'll also engage with a bunch of other people in the community, engage with you if you want to throw us your hot takes, your unpopular opinions, your... Your party decks. Exactly. What sort of pre-con thing do you want to see next? Do you want us to have go back to planar pre-cons, do more of the party stuff, do something else? Do you have anything that you want to see from us? Hitting us up on Twitter at Hexdrinkers or also uh, in a lesser case on Instagram um, at Hexdrinkers. Definitely do that. And if you want to go straight to the source of seeing that video content, you can go to Twitch at Hexdrinkers or YouTube at Hexdrinkers. And we'll have streams as well as um, highlight reels and other video content on YouTube for you to check out there. So we're pretty much hitting all the different corners of the content multiverse. And if you really like what we're doing here and want to support us, we have a Patreon also at Hex Drinkers, uh, where you will get access to these podcasts up to a week early with a little more of the outtakes and things that are happening behind the scenes. You'll also get an, a chance to kind of vote and decide what kind of products we're making next. Uh, and you'll get a shout out on the pod. So we always do love support. Yeah. A shout out on the pod, even a potentially a chance for us to do a pod about your deck. Once again, throwback to episode 20, because that was by far one of the funnest episodes we've had. So, well, that about wraps it up for us. We had a good time. We hope you did as well. For Eric, Chev, and Oak, this is Jules, and we are the Hex Drinkers signing out. <laughs> Fuck. What the fuck was that? That's terrible. I counted three, down two, wrong. One, go fuck. How do you right. count wrong? There's only three numbers. Well, because I was doing the thing where I was trying to sync my fingers to what I was you saying. You waited too long to say go, and then everyone was like, did you mean to do it on one? Or? Well, because I put the last finger down, and I had no fingers, and I was like, oh, shoot. Based on the look of confusion, I knew that we weren't going yet, so I was happy <laughs> to just wait for the word go. <laughs>